Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer on the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro-seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we irradiate a weird and wonderful science through your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. In this edition, since nuclear power is back in the opinion columns, I'm revisiting the question of nuclear power for Australia by listening to how we separated our newts from our neutrons at the Nuclear Power for Australia conference in 2013. Nuclear Power for Australia, a conference appropriately held near the anniversary of the nuclear bomb dropped on Hiroshima and at the Powerhouse Museum. In the first session, Dr Ron Cameron spoke about the use of nuclear energy around the world There were issues such as security of energy supply in countries that don't have their own sources of fossil fuels and are unfavourable for renewable energy. The Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development. The OECD estimates that there are 100 years of uranium deposits left in the ground before we run out and have to use something else. Nuclear power stations are expensive to build and have a lifetime of 60 years before being decommissioned and stored. Liberal markets are bad for long-term investments like nuclear power, as opposed to monopoly control of a market by one power supplier, which is optimum. A nuclear power plant can take 15 years to build, but a wind power station can be up in six months. The costs of nuclear power business were discussed, including the need to keep backup power plants in reserve in case you have to remove power plants from the power grid. This can be prohibitively expensive if you have built large power plants for economies of scale, so smaller plants are more commercially viable. Professor Tony Owen suggested that Australia should be adding value to our uranium exports by processing the fuel here before we ship it, and that we should be taking waste back to Australia to store forever in the desert for a fee. However, not only are free markets a problem for the business of nuclear energy, but democratic governments change environmental policies too quickly, which means more time and money for compliance, which can discourage investors. Democratic governments also tend to be very conservative, as the short-term political cycle doesn't favour long-term investment and strategy. Someone asked if nuclear power isn't very thirsty for water, and this was declared a myth because 45% of a nuclear power station's cooling can come from seawater, if they're built on the beach. This assumes the public will accept nuclear power stations on the coast. We were told it's important to set up a regulatory structure for nuclear energy to give the public confidence. We were instructed the right way to manage public perception to gain acceptance by discussing the problems with nuclear power over and over until people were bored with them. We were also told that more people have died from solar power than from nuclear power. These numbers were achieved by counting the number of builders who'd fallen off roofs during construction of solar panels and power plants but leaving out the number of people who've fallen off roofs and construction sites for nuclear power plants and for coal, oil and gas power stations. At the conference, I spoke with Erica Smythe, chairman of the uranium mining company Toro Energy. She chaired the conference session about the environmental, social and political challenges for nuclear power stations. I asked her for her best arguments for why nuclear power is right for Australia. We have a chance to develop on the back of some really good technology that's in place and for us to leave ourselves out of that we will have to pay the price 
in other ways. There is no magical solution that is risk-free for electricity production anywhere in the world. So it's, it's how do we get a good mix of risk. And for me, not having nuclear in that mix reduces our options and will lead us down a path of less desirable uh, electricity outcomes. To the people that are concerned about issues like what do you do with the nuclear waste, what would be your answer? I think there are sensible solutions to that. Practical Finland is a, is a country that is showing us the way, but I don't think we should be put off by that. If we apply our minds, we can technically deal with uh, handling nuclear waste and we can secure it in Australia far more sensibly than most other countries. So we, uh, we are in an ideal situation to look at what the whole world is doing and to say, well, n now we can look at that and say we can do it as well as anywhere in the world. And people say that nuclear waste has to be stored for 240,000 years. How much does it cost to guard something for 240,000 years? Well, I mean, I, I think we've got that equation really so has got very emotional. It isn't that difficult to store things underground. It isn't that difficult to secure it chemically. Uh, you know, we, we've got technology to do that. It's very hard to, all you have to do is, is get it out of the way. <laughs> you don't have to have people standing around with guns protecting it. It's not something you can easily lift up and take away. Uh, to my mind, it's just securing it from a chemical and a sensible point of view. So uh, I, think, uh, I think we've got very stable geology. I'm a geologist by training. Uh, I know we've got stable geology where we can store it uh, if we set our minds to it. And what about the people who are concerned about the safety in the wake of some of the disasters at some nuclear reactors like Fukushima? You know, there, there are... There are uh, safety issues for every source of energy we choose to use and to say that uh, nuclear is more dangerous than any other uh, I think is wrong. I think we have got really good safety mechanisms in place and if we look carefully at what happened at Fukushima then uh, the exposure of people to uh, an immediate danger uh, was dealt with very maturely. We'd learnt from Chernobyl what we should be doing and, and the Japanese did it. And so therefore not a lot of people have been exposed to significantly higher health risks because they got their act together. We learnt where, where uh, human beings learn quickly and I think it, Fukushima should be looked at as actually a very positive a way of saying, well, we learned from that. It, some people have been psychologically harmed. There has been some cost to people's health. I don't dispute that at all. But look at the number of people that are killed in other, killed or maimed or hurt in our other forms of energy production. It's happening all the time. You can't avoid it. I think nuclear is as safe as any form and we should just be working to make it even safer. On that note, 
What about the people who would say that solar power doesn't have the waste disposal issues and doesn't have the danger in the running of the plants? Look, solar power has a place in our energy future. I, I don't doubt that at all. But to think we, we are not in a place where we can, you know, uh, store solar power uh, adequately yet and recover it so that our electricity supply is stable and cost-effectively. So I think there is a place for solar. No, I don't doubt that. And I think it would be a danger not to... Uh, uh, not to do that in a far greater way than we are at the moment. But it's not one thing or the other. The, we still need a, uh, a very solid um, baseload power generation that runs all the time and it runs, runs sensibly and economically and safely. And nuclear should be part of that mix for Australia. And what's the cost of not going nuclear? The cost to Australia is that we leave ourselves out of a technological solution that the rest of the world is already using. And we should have some of that in our country. It, we shouldn't say, well, let's go 100% nuclear. I'm not suggesting that at all. But I think we should have nuclear in our bag of solutions. I would just like us to have a chance for everyone to start to talk about it without the minute we open our mouths being shot down. So let's have a sensible conversation where we can address people's concerns. I have no doubt people have concerns about it. So let's talk about those concerns and let's have some sensible discussion about the pros and the cons of all of our choices not, and not leave nuclear out of the discussion. Well, Erica Smythe, thank you very much. Okay, thank you. That was Erica Smythe, chairman of Toro Energy, who expects to open a uranium mine soon. Erica is also an independent director of the Australian Nuclear Science and Technology Organisation, ANSTO, at Lucas Heights. And now, finally, the voice from someone who isn't in the nuclear industry from the conference asking about nuclear power for Australia. Ian Lowe is Emeritus Professor from the Physics Department of Griffith University and President of the Australian Conservation Foundation. He spoke to me in the lunch break about why nuclear power is not right for Australia and the problems with the way that the uranium mining industry and nuclear power advocates approach the subject. Professor Ian Lowe, you're from which organisation? Well, I'm here as an Emeritus Professor in the School of Science at Griffith University. It's probably significant that I'm also President of the Australian Conservation Foundation, which is a large environmental NGO. I'm tempted to jump right in that some people would see that as an interesting juxtaposition of nuclear power and environmental concerns. Well, I only agreed to speak because the conference's title is Nuclear Energy for Australia? And it seems to me there are significant questions that need to be asked. And the dominant tenor of the conference is what's been called the deficit model, that uh, technical experts understand nuclear power and know that it's good for us. Uh, the people are stupid and they don't realise that. If only they were educated, they would accept it. And, of course, the point is that um, that's uh, oversimplified. There are people with doctoral qualifications in physics, including myself, who don't think nuclear energy makes any sense for Australia. And there are totally uneducated people who think it is. I mean, there are politicians who wouldn't know a neutron from a newt who think we should have nuclear power stations. In fact, uh, a very interesting observation was made at the UNESCO World Congress on Science by Bob May, Lord May of Oxford, 
former president of the Royal Society, who pointed out that if you look at international comparisons, the countries that are most positive about controversial technologies like nuclear power and genetic engineering are the countries that have the lowest level of scientific literacy. You know, by far the greatest level of support is in the USA, which has, by some margin, the lowest level of science literacy in the world. 30% of people think the Earth and all species were created in six calendar days 6,000 years ago. 25% of people still think the sun goes around the Earth, and they're very positive about it. In fact, the point is there are legitimate community concerns about the cost of nuclear power, about the timeliness of it as a response to climate change, about the operating risk and about the long-term issues of radioactive waste and misuse of fissile material. These are legitimate concerns and um, what I'm saying this afternoon at the conference is that if people are enthusiastic about promoting nuclear, uh, nuclear energy in Australia, they have to engage with those community concerns and address them rather than dismiss them as the product of ignorance. I think that's a really important issue that these community concerns aren't just to be managed, which is the language I've heard this morning, but to be addressed because it is reasonable to wonder what's going to happen to the waste and if there's any actual technologies that can store it for long periods of time and how long is that? that that's exactly right. I mean, we're talking of uh, with current nuclear reactors, periods of over 100,000 years. So that's not just a serious technical challenge, it's also a huge social challenge. You know, we're talking about wanting to be confident that your systems are robust for hundreds of times longer than any human civilization has ever endured. So they need not just to be technically robust, but they need to be socially robust. And uh, at the moment, I agree with AMP Capital Investors who said, in the absence of a proven solution for radioactive waste, the industry is really passing the costs on to future generations. Uh, and not just the next two or three generations, but the next 20 or 30,000 generations. I mean, we're talking about unimaginable periods of time. And uh, in that context, my view has been uh, for a long time that nuclear energy should really be the last shot in the locker, that only if it's clear that we can't meet our energy needs by clean technologies should we resort to one that has those long-term problems. Uh, and there are other issues, I and mean, one of the points I'm going to make is that uh, I was recently rereading some of the history of what we call World War II, and um, electricity generating capacity, whether coal-fired or hydro, were legitimate targets of military action because it impeded your enemy's capacity to produce the weapons of war. Building nuclear power stations uh, presumes that we will have eternal peace that there will never again be a situation where power generating facilities are legitimate military targets. And uh, unless you really believe that there will never again be armed conflict, it's quite irresponsible to build nuclear power stations. I say this as somebody who, as a young physicist, was quite excited by the prospect of a clean, technically sophisticated energy source replacing coal, which kills and injures thousands of people every year. And when I went to the UK to do a doctorate more than 45 years ago, I accepted a scholarship from the UK Atomic Energy Authority to do my research because it was looking at a physical problem that affects the useful life of fuel elements in nuclear reactors.
At the time, I thought nuclear energy was the energy source of the future. And it's only as the problems, particularly waste management and weapons proliferation, but also operating risk, have become apparent uh, that I've moved to the view that it just doesn't make any sense at all for Australia. There are countries like France that now gets three quarters of its energy from nuclear, where it would be physically impossible to do without it on a time scale of less than 20 or 30 years. But at the other extreme, there are countries like Australia and New Zealand that don't have nuclear energy, and I don't think there's any credible case for uh, moving to develop them. Well, we do have more renewable resources than any other country. Absolutely. I point out to people that the amount of solar energy that hits Australia alone in one summer day alone is about half the total annual energy use. I usually have to repeat that because people can't believe it, that all 7 billion humans in an entire year for all purposes, cooking, heating, lighting, transport, total global annual energy use is only twice the amount of solar energy that hits Australia alone in one summer day alone. The renewable resources are literally tens of thousands of times greater than human energy use. And if you think long term, I think it's inescapable that we have to move away from living off the stored fossil energy uh, to living off the renewable energy flows that we can use without feeling guilty about the legacy we're leaving to our grandchildren. So I've been asked to ask about thorium power, yes. thorium as a fuel. Is it any better than uranium or is it got the same sort of issues with waste management and operational danger? Well, there are still issues of uh, operational danger and waste management, but they are less severe with thorium. It's undoubtedly true that if you built thorium reactors, the waste management problem comes down to a few thousand years rather than more than a hundred thousand years. So it's still very long compared with any human civilization, but it's less serious. I mean, my view is that it is technically possible to design and build better reactors, although the industry has been telling us for 40 years that they can design and build better reactors and we're still waiting. I mean, just because they've been consistently wrong for 40 years doesn't mean they'll always be wrong, but it does mean we should be sceptical. I mean, my view is that the renewable technologies are proven and we know we can scale them up. And uh, the Australian electricity market operator recently estimated what it would cost to power Australia totally with renewables by 2030 and it's basically no different from the cost of business as usual. Now it seems to me that really is the last nail in the nuclear coffin that if you can power Australia totally with a mix of renewables why would you start trying to design a new and better model of nuclear reactors which would still have significant problems and uh, we don't know could be scaled up uh, to provide the energy that we need. Well, perhaps if you owned a mine, you'd want to be able to sell things. Well, uh, interestingly, I, mean, I think a lot of the impetus for this comes from the uranium industry, and uh, they give the impression that they're a significant earner of export revenue, that they employ a lot of people, and they make the world a cleaner place. I point out that uranium actually accounts for 0.3% of export revenue, you know, less than tin, uh, that they employ about 0.01% of the workforce. and. Uh, Australian uranium was in the Fukushima Daiichi reactors which spread radioactive material over a large area of Japan. So the uranium industry I think is trying to rebadge itself as not a grubby commercial operation that's making the world dirty and dangerous but uh, as the answer to our need for a low carbon future. 
but uh, I just don't think that's an acceptable portrayal. If there was a circumstance where, for whatever emergency reasons, we did go nuclear, how long would it take? Because there's, we don't have anybody trained to operate these or build these reactors, and it takes a long time to set them up and start them going. How long does it take if suddenly the government decided and the public was for it? That's a very fair comment. The Sokol Switkowski Committee uh, looked at this issue and I don't think anyone could accuse them of being biased against nuclear energy. It was chaired by the then chairman of, of ANSTO, for example, and they concluded it would take at least 10 years, probably 15, to build one nuclear reactor because of the length of time taken to design and build it after you got community approval and the length of time needed to train people both to build and operate a reactor and equally importantly to regulate the industry because we have a nuclear regulator who looks after the use of ionising radiation in uh, medical imaging and in uh, treatments of cancer and in industrial uh, imaging, industrial detection. But we don't have a regulator that's equipped to license and monitor the operation of a nuclear power industry. And they said quite rightly that it would take at least five years, probably ten, to expand our current regulatory regime so that you were confident that it could manage a nuclear power industry without risk to the community. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you'd like to mention? I suppose the final thing is that the only reason we're even discussing nuclear energy is that the penny has finally dropped that climate change is a serious issue, uh, despite obfuscation and denial by some politicians and some sections of industry. Uh, if climate change was not an issue, nobody would even be discussing nuclear energy. Um, interestingly, some of those who are now promoting nuclear energy are those who have been most trenchant in the denial of climate change, so they've had to do a, a very rapid about-face. I think it is clear we need to decarbonise our energy supply. Uh, it's also clear, I think, that the first emphasis should be on improving the efficiency of turning energy into the services people want. Amory Lovins famously said, people don't want energy, they want hot showers and cold beer. They want the services that energy provides. And there are, well, the Howard government's report on energy efficiency 10 years ago said we could reduce our emissions 30% with technology that exists today and is cost effective with a payback time of less than four years. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt we could halve our carbon dioxide emissions without affecting our quality of life in any way just by getting serious about energy efficiency. And, uh, that should be the key priority, to improve the efficiency of turning energy into services rather than pouring more energy into an inefficient system. Again, somebody said, if you can't fill your sink because the water keeps running out, you don't need a bigger tap, you need a plug. And at the moment, uh, we're heating poorly designed houses, we're using uh, domestic appliances that don't meet international standards for energy efficiency, and just by cleaning up our act, we could dramatically reduce the supply task. And that should be a key priority as well as building cleaner energy supply. And if listeners want to find out more about what you have to say, is there a website they should look for your writing online? Um, the ACF website, Australian Conservation Foundation, has uh, some of my recent writings. There's also on this specific issue, there's a little paperback book uh, called Why Versus Why Nuclear Power, which is a so-called flip book. It doesn't have a back cover, it has two front covers. 
and I jointly wrote it with Professor Barry Brook from the University of Adelaide who thinks we should build nuclear power. And it's interesting because if you start from his side, you get his case and me saying why I think he's wrong. If you turn it over, you get my case and him saying why he thinks I'm wrong. So uh, listeners can get both sides of the story by two passionate and well-informed advocates and uh, make up their own mind. Because the one thing I agree with the organisers of this conference about is that we should have an informed public debate about energy issues rather than it being decided on nothing more substantial than a gin and tonic or two. Well, Professor Ian Lowe, thank you very much. It's a real pleasure. That was Emeritus Professor Ian Lowe, President of the Australian Conservation Foundation, reminding us that there is a question mark at the end of the name of the conference and of the need for serious discussion that is respectful of both sides of the question about whether Australia needs nuclear power, separating newts from neutrons. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please subscribe to the Diffusion Science Radio channel on youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolfe. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8 C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2MVR in Nambucca Valley, 3MVR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and 2XXFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in northeast Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com, where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf or join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolf. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.